Welcome back to Clinicians Brief, the podcast, the conversations behind the content. I'm your host, registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser, and we are live at New York Vet this week having an amazing time. We are learning so much from the wealth of knowledge that has been collected here for this conference. CE everywhere, great conversations everywhere, intelligent minds, beautiful people. We are having a ball, and I have the outstanding opportunity of sitting down today with Dr. Peter Weinstein. Dr. Weinstein, thank you so much for being here with me. It is a pleasure. I wasn't sure where you were going with outstanding or ignominious or some other conversational uh, adjectives. So. You fill in all of the blanks and we'll see how this <laughs> conversation goes. The fact of the matter is truly though is I have really enjoyed and valued these conversations because there is an amazing amount of intelligent people here who are all speaking in their passion area. So the idea that I get to sit down with some of the actual leaders in this industry of their passion areas and to talk it out, I just feel basically like the luckiest girl in the world this week. Well, I appreciate that. Let me know when you've got some intelligent people here because right now you're talking to me. I think I have one of the most intelligent in front of me. And it's funny because what you're talking about is something that requires a high level of intelligence, right? We're talking about ready to grow, when, why, and how to expand your practice. But before we get into all of that, I'd like to just kind of ask you about your background. Tell us where you went to vet school, where you're from, where you are today. Where I am today. Well, I'm at New York Vet today. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, actually grew up in the New York metro area on Long Island. Okay. And I cut my teeth in a veterinary hospital in Port Washington. And so New York is not foreign territory to me. But okay. I've been out of New York for over 30 years because I did my undergraduate at Cornell, went to veterinary school at the University of Illinois. Okay. And as soon as I could get out of the freezing temperatures, I moved to Southern California. Yeah. So I've been in Orange County, California since I graduated, worked as an associate, had my own practice, expanded it, moved it, expanded it, sold it to a corporation, and have been doing a variety of other things. I went back to school and got a business degree while I was running my practice so I could learn what I didn't learn in veterinary school yeah. and have done a variety of things in organized veterinary medicine, consulting, coaching, worked for in the pet health insurance industry for a couple of years. And currently, my full-time gig is the executive director of the Southern California Veterinary Medical Association. So I have Los Angeles and Orange County, where I am the chief advocate, cheerleader, and boss of all of the veterinary hospitals in LA and Orange County that are part of our association, which makes us about the 10th largest association in the country with over 900 hospitals and 1,500 veterinarians. So just that? Just that. It's Yeah, it's just small potatoes. <laughs> But that's a beautiful place to be doing this amazing yeah, work, yeah, right? Not, not a bad place. Not a bad place at all. And I know Southern California, there's a lot of amazing veterinary medicine happening out there. There is a lot of industry leaders in the area. And so you've probably got a wealth of knowledge out there and a lot of practices to help share your experience in growing practices, which is exactly what you're doing here. And for us, it, it may be off the clinical path a bit, but it takes us into an area that I think it's incredibly important for a lot of our listeners, because I think you don't have to be just a practice owner to be interested in expansion, right? Everyone in the practice has an investment in practice expansion and growth, right? Absolutely. And I think we grow in practice in small ways every day by adding new drugs, by adding new equipment, and even by adding new staff, because every time you bring on a new teammate, you are bringing a new thought process that's going on. So 
we grow in practice and we expand our practices because if we don't expand our practices, we're retracting our practices. We're preventing them from moving forward, preventing them from going, uh, getting past the start line. And, and, and there are a lot of practices who remain in neutral or spend way too much time in reverse. And, and we need to really get rid of the rearview mirrors and start to just look through that windshield and start to be facing the future. And that's all about growth and expansion and change and making the future our target and not the past. Inherently, when you hear expansion and growth from the veterinary industry, I think we tend to pigeonhole ourselves into finances. We don't have to pigeonhole there, right? Expansion and growth is not just about money and making more money or bringing in more money or spending more money. No, expansion and growth is all about improving our relationship with our patients. More importantly, improving our relationship with our clients because if you do a great job with patients and you do a great job with clients and you have a wonderful team, you don't have to worry about the money. The money comes. And sometimes the physical plant that we're in provides limitation. And so the expansion and growth comes in. How do we accomplish our vision of better patient care, better client care in the location that we're at? So it should all be driven by your vision, your mission, your values. That should be foundational in your growth and development. And I think that physically you need a a location that helps you and allows you to deliver that. Yeah, and I love that you talk about the mission, vision, and values in the sense that I don't know that a lot of general practices have that. And if they do, I bet you the majority of the team members couldn't recite it and say, I know that this is my practice's mission, vision, or values. I have no idea. I show up. I do my job. I'm, or, or, or it seems very generic. I'm here for best practices. But, you know, I think the first thing you mentioned in your lecture is looking at the current situation and evaluating where you are right now. Is it time for a change? Or are we just playing it safe in the space that we're at? Or are we in a good place right now for growth? And, you know, I have to say, it's got to be a little bit scary to take that leap and to jump in for growth. So what are the tools you recommend for that self-evaluation to figure out where you're at right now? Well, I think the financial numbers are what veterinarians could wrap their hands around because a P&L or a balance sheet or income statements, all of these are things that you can touch. Reports that come off of your computer, your practice information management software, are reports that you can touch. So most, if you look at those as lab work or radiographs, to diagnose the health of your practice, you look at your data. We love data. And so is your data healthy? Is it healthy enough or do we need to do a little bit of fixing to help your data? Now, in some cases, that data is impacted by your physical plan. Is there limitations to the number of people that you can see? because of your physical plant. Some of it's impacted by your cost of rent because it's a high-end area or whatever the case may be. So the data helps give you a foundation of things to look at. You still gotta take that and look at that through the glasses of your vision, mission, and values. And then you've got something called a lease if you're in a leasehold or a mortgage if you own the building. And then you've got to do a physical evaluation of your location. Is the rent going up in an environment that the rent shouldn't be going up? Is your lease up and maybe it's a good motivation to move? So you've got a lot of these moving parts to look at that are tangible. And then the intangible moving part is where's your heart and your head? Are you satisfied doing the same thing each day, every day? Or are you ready for a little bit of, ready to rock and roll? It's been soft jazz for a while. Yeah. Let's do a little bit of rock and roll. You know, what's the difference between a grave and a rut? Right. And that was my next question for you. What is it? Okay. The difference between a grave and a rut is the depth and how long you're in it. (laughs) That makes a lot of sense. And maybe if you know you're there or not, right? Well, that's that's true. And, And way too many of us don't know which you're in. 
Right. Until the sand starts coming down on top of you. But that's where you come in, right? And one of these things you're talking about in this session is, are you in a rut? And how do you maybe tell someone they're in a rut if they don't know it? How are you, what are the identifying factors? I'm in a rut. It's fun to have that conversation. And it, it usually starts with, if they close the exit on the freeway on your way to work and you couldn't take the same route there in the morning, would you know how to get to work? Because we live in a coma most of the time. We live in our subconscious. And if you are bothered by the changes going on around you and you keep falling back to your reptilian brain, yeah. then uh, you are in a rut. And if you are motivated by the fact that they're building and wait, I can take a different way to uh, work and maybe I can see different things around me. Or if you watch and read about other industries, and, and I think part of the problem in the veterinary field is we model after other veterinary hospitals, whereas we should be looking at how did Apple go from the garage to where they are now? How did Microsoft go from the garage to where they are now? How did Starbucks go from one location in Seattle to basically controlling the coffee world? What is it that other businesses have done to disrupt their industry? And I'm not suggesting you want to disrupt the veterinary profession. Maybe I am. But what I am suggesting is disrupt your life yeah. because that's how you grow. You grow by change. You grow by getting out of your own way and continuing to look forward and look down the road and stop looking back. I mean, we spend way too much of our time worrying about what happened in the past and not enough time about where we want to end up in the future. So how do you have that conversation? You have the conversation starting with, are you ready to rock and roll? And if they're ready, then you motivate them and you keep them moving forward and you coach them to do so because the typical thing, and you're a technician, the typical thing for veterinarians is to micromanage and to look for reasons not, whereas my goal is to look for reasons for. And I would love to remember the John Kennedy quote, or the, I think it was John Kennedy, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Ask not what you can do for your staff, ask what your staff can do for you. Well, they can help you get out of this rut. And honestly, it's called the, remember the um, doctors would go in and, and they would do the, the flea talk? Yeah. They would do the vaccination talk. Yeah. They would do the skin talk. Right. That's a rut. Get out of our way. Yes, yes. <laughs> Your technicians are here for this, and there are better ways to do it. Yeah. And we're in a time where there's more and more options to do it. What about your folks that are, like, super resistant? I'm not in a rut. I guess maybe maybe they're not ending up in front of you because they're not looking for that change. But, like, when you see that, when you know someone's in a rut, or maybe somebody else in the, in the building feels like we're in a rut, but I can't get my owner or my practice manager or whatever on board, how do you motivate and inspire well, it's interesting. I think a lot of veterinarians have been walking around with pebbles in their shoe for so long that they don't know that they have pebbles in their shoe. Okay. And so what you have to do is move the pebbles around so they start to hurt. Okay. And I think that change comes from pleasure and pain. And I think that veterinarians have a very high pain threshold. They're also very competitive. And so if a colleague who is risk averse and change averse starts to see everybody else around them doing well, frequently that'll motivate them because they don't want to be left behind. Sure. So I think there, there are those who you can get out of the rut, and there are those who you just give a shovel and say, keep digging. Yeah. And you just have to find those and try to motivate everybody to look at things differently. And we, in 2019, still very much practice as we did 40 years ago. We also practice as James Harriet did 100 years ago. Yeah. And what got you here won't get you there. That's great advice. I'd like to take credit for the quote, but it's a book by somebody else. But it's true, though, right? Because we have a tendency in this industry, you hear so much, it's what I've always done. 
or it's always worked for me. Or I thought that was the mission statement for most practices. <laughs> it is, it's right? Way, yes. It's the way we've always done it. And that's frustrating for the innovators on the outside who are trying to make life better and easier. And when this all comes down to best practices and better medicine and better lives, right? Like right. better living and better enjoying our, our what we're doing. So I guess that kind of brings me down to the first thing that you mentioned in terms of this practice expansion and growth. And it comes to why. So like, okay, I'm out of my rut. I, I don't want to be in a rut. I want growth. I recognize it's time we're there. You say, start with why. Tell me about that. Well, Start With Why, by the way, is a great book by the Simon best. Sinek. I, yes. And so if you haven't watched the podcast or read the book, add Start With Why to your reading and YouTube TED Talk list. Yes. Beyond that, the why is what motivates everything. And it's the why that is your vision and your mission. And so if your vision is high levels of quality care, our mission statement in practice going back was to deliver Mayo Clinic level of care in a Nordstrom-like environment. My expectations weren't all that high. So if we couldn't do that because we were limited in the size of our facility, or if we wanted to move to a higher level of testing, such as an ultrasound, I was limited in what we could do. So I had to look to be able to provide and accomplish that mission which always started with the patient care and then the client care. And that was one of the reasons we kind of outgrew the, the waiting room. People had to step outside to wait. Well, that's just not the way it is. Now, in Southern California, we can get by with that because it's pretty nice. But yeah. if people are waiting outside in New York in November, they're cold. They're finding another clinic to go into. Exactly. So why comes from are whys you're in control over and whys that you have no control over. The whys that you have no control over are your landlord, your eminent domain if somebody's going to take your building away from you, rent, an old plant that's going to become obsolete. The whys you control have control over is if you know your lease is up and it's time to move, start looking for a new place. If you know your practice can't deliver what you want and you know it, start looking for a new place or look to expand. So control the whys as much as you can, but the ultimate why is to be able to provide a higher level of patient and client care and to provide an environment that is supportive of the team so that they can deliver those promises as well. You know, and you make an important point there when you talk about the team, and sometimes I think there's a disconnect, right? Like I want growth or they don't and it's scary. How do you kind of manage that whole team approach to the why? How do you make sure you know everyone not only knows the why that you've determined, but how do you figure out everybody? I mean, isn't everybody on the team's why equally important? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that should be part of your staff meetings that you have as you focus on what your vision and mission are. And if you're not sharing your vision and mission with your team, how can they get you there? If, if you look at a coxswain in a crew boat, the long, narrow boats that race at the Olympics and we never see them any other time. They've got somebody at the front saying stroke and they've got eight people behind them or in front of them who are moving the boat. Well, as the captain or the coxswain of the boat, your job is to get everybody in sync. Well, the first thing is to work with them and define what synchrony is. And that vision is to get the 100 meters down the lake. The vision is to provide quality care and patient care and service. And everybody's got to have a voice. So I think the most important thing in this discussion is the why starts with the team-based input and almost taking a servant leadership approach to things where you as the leader of the practice, the first question is, what can we do better? How can we do better? Are we limited in the physical location that we're in? And if so, what would you like to see in the new location? But engage your team at the why level because they will then help later on when it comes to the how level. Okay. All right. That makes sense. So we've got the why for our guiding beacon, right? So I guess that brings us to the when and the how. 
Well, when is easy? Now. Yeah. It's like, what are you waiting for? Right. Okay? The when is as soon as you make the decision. Because if you wait and you have the opportunity to think about it and micromanage it and worry about it, you'll put your foot on the brake. So take your foot off the brake, put your eyes down the road, get the vision of the physical location you'd like to have to deliver on your vision and mission for your practice. And so the when is as soon as is practically that you can do it. Okay. The how, build a team. This is not something for you as a veterinarian or even a manager to do on your own because you are an expert at what you do clinically and managerially. But if you try to do this on your own, what you do best, which is to see clients do surgery, et cetera, is going to be impacted because of the time that's involved with making a move. You generate money in the exam room, the treatment area, the surgery suite, and on the phone. You don't generate money drawing floor plans and going to Home Depot and talking to vendors. Right. Hire the team, build a team around you, bankers, accountants, lawyers, consultants, coaches, Surround yourself with experts that you pay to help you get the outcome that you want and get out of your own way because the minute you go start to do something that's not your expertise is the minute things go south. Yeah. And then you take the personal responsibility, right? I learned to sort of outsource and delegate. What I found was when I did that, it took so much stress off of me because I, at that point, not that I was looking for anyone to blame, but because I wasn't holding myself to my own personal perfectionization, right? Right. To do something that was not even in my wheelhouse. So not only did I have to do the task, I had to learn the background on the task, do the task and do the follow-up. When, like you said, my talents, my energy, and my passions were being wasted by pursuing this thing that was an attachment to what I wanted to accomplish. So I think that's great. Outsource it, delegate it, let the people who are the experts do the experts, and then you can still be working within your passion place. Absolutely, because while you're trying to build your next location or enhance your future, you still need to be generating income. Yes. And so to be able to create that business that's working now, continue to have it work in the future, you're much more successful in the four walls of your current practice to allow somebody else to build the new four walls that you're going to move into. Doesn't mean you shouldn't go and visit and see how they're doing. Right. But Right. And to that exact point, what's that self-check like? Yeah, well, right? Because during growth and anything we're doing, we have to, is this working? Like I set out on this path, but maybe this isn't it. So what does self-check look like when we're looking at growth? Self-growth is looking at the mile markers on the freeway as you go through the process. So that if you know you're going from New York to Boston, there are going to be mile markers along the way that will eventually get you to your outcome. Well, you have, should have mile markers in a timeline to help you get to the ultimate outcome of the practice that you're going. Yeah. So that's where your importance come in. If you want to lead the team to that ultimate outcome, your job is just to check the mile markers and make sure that the work that you've delegated is meeting those mile markers. That's your checklists for ultimate success. But isn't it terrifying to say, oh no, right? I'm not at the mile marker I'm supposed to be. I've got to go back down the highway. I'm going to milk this analogy, right, of of travel transportation. But you create these markers, but what are the signs it's not okay? How do we regroup? How do we redirect ourselves? Well, I think that the reason most of the times you get away from the mile markers is you get distracted. Yeah. Or there's a detour. Now, what's a detour? The detour is the architect, more the contractor or the architect and contractor, not being able to get the cabinet's in on time. The cages that you'd like to have won't be delivered on time. None of this is life-threatening. 
all of this is irritating like sand in your underwear. Yeah. Okay? So what you have to do is recalibrate and say, okay, we're not opening May 1st, we're opening June 1st. Is that a bad thing? No, it gives us another month to fine-tune some of the systems and processes that we're going to need for the new location. So you can look at a detour as, now it's going to take longer to get there. Or you can look at a detour and say, wow, I get to see farmland that I wasn't going to see. Or I get to see a different environment of things that are going to be there, and you'll ultimately get there. And as long as you don't lose that vision, as long as you don't lose that ultimate goal and get frustrated by the, uh, the detours, I think you're fine. It's real easy for those of us who are as type A as we are to be distracted by detours. But as long as you're not the one creating the roadblock, and God knows we become the ones who create the roadblocks, as long as you're not the one creating the roadblock, you also have somebody to be angry with. And then you can just vent because that's what we do well. Yeah. And then say, okay, what's this mean? How are we going to get there? What's it going to change? And don't charge me more for it. <laughs> This podcast is brought to you by the First Financial Bank Veterinary Lending Division. When you need financial assistance with an acquisition, expansion, remodeling, or startup, call the division built by a DVM and former business owners. They know the business and they can help you reach your financial goals. Learn more at ffb1.com. Member FDIC Equal Housing Lender. That's right. Yeah. And, and you're you're absolutely right. I think part of it is getting out of our own way, right? And just saying anytime we are creating change, we're creating change. There is no way to box that in entirely and to maybe embrace the those detours and say there's more to learn from this. There's there is some kind of positive spin. A very good mutual friend of ours, Dr. Ernie Ward, always says tilt toward optimism, right? Just make your brain shift toward making that work for you. And that's wonderful. But it makes me kind of tie this into our keep it brief segment. Now I want to tell you there's very little pressure here. We rarely ever keep it brief. But I want to know when this is going on throughout this process, this is scary for the rest of the team. And, and even when they've had a say in what they want, they maybe aren't there for the entire execution process to know, like, we're all just in this van driving down the road. We think we know where we're going, but we saw that detour, but we don't know about it. So what are your tips and how do you recommend communicating that change and growth within the clinic and maintaining the culture and the communication process? Communication and culture starts day one in the time you open your practice and continues every day within your practice. And so from a culture standpoint and a communication standpoint, if you are listening to your team, that is just huge yeah. from a cultural standpoint. Yeah. What we did is as soon as we signed the lease at a new location, we'd bring the team there to just to show them the show. And then we'd show them the floor plans and we'd ask for their input on the design of the reception area, especially since text didn't work in this reception. And we asked the text for their voice on the treatment area. What did we need? Do we need two wet tables? Do we need one? Where should we put the prep area? Where should we put the um, surgical prep area? Where did radiology need to go? So that you could decrease the number of steps. So by integrating your team all throughout and communicating, uh-oh, you know, we're going to have to delay our, our start for a week, you're giving them the opportunity to be part of the whole discussion. I think nobody likes surprises. Right. It was funny because, so we took them there when the shell was there. Then once the floors were drawn and the walls were drawn, we took them back and say, okay, here's the workflow. They would walk through the walls. They said, that's a wall. 
you know, and you, so <laughs> they got to feel how the workflows were going to be from that standpoint. So they were part of it. And then one time when we expanded, we gave the staff sledgehammers and let them knock down walls. Yes. Oh my gosh. So these types of things keep them invested. And I think that if they have a voice in the ultimate vision, then they will be invested and they will, you'll keep the culture and the communication. But the culture is set by your vision and mission as well, so it goes way back to that. So I think we're all on the same page, which is really your team, if you believe in the concept of team-based healthcare delivery, should constantly be having a voice and they should be listened to while having that voice. Foundation is foundation, right? No matter what you build on it. If you're creating that foundation, it doesn't matter where you take your team, there's the healthy communication and the trust. Right. Right? Trust is, you, you hit my soapbox. I think trust is the thing that veterinary practices thrive on or fail on. If you can't build a trust with your team and you can't build a trust with your clients, you have a huge problem. And I think that the, unfortunately, I think the internet has done a great job of building, breaking down a lot of the trust that consumers have in the veterinary field. And I think it's exquisitely important that we do everything we can at all levels, individual practice, local association, state association, national association, to rebuild the trust and the respect that the veterinary profession used to have that the internet and those who might have an opinion but not knowledge expound on. And I think we need to rebuild that level of trust at all levels within the veterinary profession. And that ties back to communication. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not rocket science. No. But we've got the tools. We've got to use them. So to the point of the tools, where do you send people to? What are the resources you like to shoot to people who ask you more about this? They want to grow. They want to learn more. Well, the first thing I usually do is tell them to read biographies of successful leaders. I think Steve Jobs' biography was, uh, was really good. And by the way, I'm a big Audible person, so... Put your headset on, go to the gym, drive your car, listen to books on tape. Yeah. Uh, ben Franklin, Abraham Lincoln, George Washington. Listen to the successes of other leaders. One of the books that I give to a lot of people that was very influential for me is The Success Principles by Jack Canfield, 64 Principles to Get You from Where You Are to Where You Want to Go. From a small business standpoint, uh, The E-Myth Revisited and The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. And to self-plug, I co-authored with Michael Gerber, The E-Myth Veterinarian, which is basically how most veterinarians are technicians who have an entrepreneurial seizure and have to understand that the delivery of veterinary care doesn't necessarily make you a successful business person. It makes you a good doctor. And there's a difference between running a small business and being a good doctor. To be both is really hard. Right. It really is. And it's okay for it to be hard. There's great resources out there and there's learning to be done. Perfection is self-deprivation, right? We yeah. want to continue to grow and learn and to give ourselves space to do that, right? Absolutely. Thank Absolutely. you so much for that. I, honestly, I think this is such important information. I love that you're out here talking about this. I hope that these rooms are overflowing with people who want to learn how to grow and to do it right. So I know you're super busy and thank you so much for taking the time out here in New York to sit down and talk with us. My pleasure. Thank you so much for the uh, invitation. To all of you who are listening to this, hey, just keep your eyes on the road and keep driving down and... Uh, I think your future's ahead of you. So You heard it here. Thank you so much, Dr. Weinstein. Thank you. Thanks again to today's guests for joining us, and thanks to you for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. While you're there, make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. We appreciate if you leave us all the stars. You can listen to podcasts as well on our website at cliniciansbrief.com backslash podcasts. You can find us at facebook.com backslash cliniciansbrief. 
on Twitter at cliniciansbrief and on Instagram at clinicians.brief. You can also drop us a line at podcast at briefmedia.com. Clinicians Brief, the podcast is a brief media production produced by Alexis Ustry, sound by Randall Stupka, hosted by me, Becky Mosser, with special thanks to production assistant Michelle Moncrez.